Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 386 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today, I bring to you a conversation with John Brooks, one of the men who, sitting on an airplane over 20 years ago, conceived of and dreamt about, for the very first time, a tubeless insulin pump. Eventually, that pump became the Omnipod, and this is the story of how it came to be. John's the father of someone who has type 1 diabetes, and he tried to figure out how to help a long time ago when his son was diagnosed. This is what came of it. It's kind of uh, crazy, right? While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. John's actually been involved in a lot of things around type 1 diabetes. We'll talk about all of it. But my initial reason for having him on was to learn about the birth of the Omnipod. Such an interesting idea, isn't it? Just something didn't exist, and then it did. Hey, if you're looking for a great way to support people living with type 1 diabetes while you support the podcast, go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and join their registry. You answer a few simple questions about you or your child who has type 1 diabetes, and those answers will help support innovation in the type 1 world. It's that simple. It's completely HIPAA compliant, absolutely anonymous. You can opt out at any time. And it takes less than 10 minutes to complete right there from your phone or your computer. T1DExchange.org forward slash juicebox. This episode is also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Go to touchedbytype1.org to learn about an organization that is doing an incredible amount of good for people living with type 1 diabetes. Touched by Type 1 is also putting out their good stuff on Facebook and Instagram. And as a matter of fact, I believe the founder of Touched by Type 1 just had a beautiful little baby. So if you're interested in seeing cute little babies, definitely hit up their social media. Touchedbytype1.org. Do you have a great doctor or need one? Check out juiceboxdocs.com. It's a great list of doctors who have been suggested by the listeners of this podcast. They're doctors that get it when you want to make adjustments to your insulin or don't want to just do, you know, what everybody else does. Juiceboxdocs.com. Leave a name, take a name. If you're looking for those Diabetes Pro Tip episodes to share with a friend, it's easy to get them to download an app, I guess, and say, hey, start at episode 210. That's where those Diabetes Pro Tips begin. Or you can just send them to diabetesprotip.com. And please help me welcome a brand new sponsor to the weekly shows, Gvoke Glucagon. In the next few episodes, you'll begin hearing about Gvoke. Arden has already got it at home. We've got the hypo pen and it's the bomb diggity. The absolute minute I heard there was a new glucagon that did not have to be mixed. I wanted to know more. You can learn more too at gvokeglucagon.com 
forward slash juice box. Givoke is G-V-O-K-E. Glucagon, classic way, G-L-U-C-A-N. That might have been wrong. Glucagon. Dear God, are we going to get involved in spelling glucagon right now? All right. G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N.com forward slash juice box. Or you could just, you know, use your own brain instead of mine and just type it out. Gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Welcome to the show, Gvoke. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. And of course, touchedbytype1.org. Check them out when you have the time. I appreciate you doing this very much. I've often wondered about you, not knowing who you are, uh, and I thought this is an interesting time to get your your thoughts. I mean, if I'm not wrong, right? It's about 20 years since you started the company, right? Yeah, it started uh, insulin. In fact, it, it's funny. I was just on the phone like 10 minutes ago with uh, you know my co-founder and uh, partner at Prism, uh, Dwayne Mason. So we were just literally talking about that 20 years ago, 20 years ago in May. 2000. Yeah. And, and now everything's getting ready to, I mean, I don't know how to think of it. I think they're going to take the thing you guys made and supercharge it, right? Like it, it's, it, it, it's getting ready to take a leap. Don't you think? Yeah. Well, you know, I think, you know, if you think of the world that, you know, we started in, it was a device, right? A glucometer, um, you know, that, uh, well, a glucometer, you know, was then going to drive an insulin pump. And now you look at it, you know, it's the whole closed loop. It's the automated insulin delivery capability. But I think what's most important is the fact that it's less about the device. It's really the data and it's the use of that data to drive better decisions, better clinical outcomes. And I think, you know, with COVID and the way healthcare has changed, you know, people want to be able to kind of get healthcare in their terms. Uh, you know, they don't want to feel like they have a job uh, to manage your diabetes, but you know, the more the burden we can take off of them, they want in, and in today's environment, you know, people are more prone. They don't want to go to the doctor's office. They don't want to go to the clinic. They don't want to go to the hospital. You know, they, they want to be able to, you know, get help and coaching and support for managing their diabetes, but on their terms. And, you know, I think that's the beauty, whether it's insulin or others, I mean, you know, really leveraging, the data, the analytics, the ability to basically determine, you know, trends, to be able to look at time and range, to be able to look at, you know, where there are any hiccups or, you know, risks of hypoglycemia. So, you know, it, 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 it's kind of the evolution of healthcare that, you know, if there was a silver lining to COVID, it's accelerated, you know, all this virtual care, remote care, connected care, yeah. you know, much faster than, you know, it would have happened on its own. It was pretty, pretty slow. And now it's, you know, changing dramatically. So in the beginning, really, it's about it's a tool and the tool is the whole it's the whole story. And now really the tool is just the way you take the data and, and make the decision. And then you don't have to go back to the doctor who would look at whatever data you had, whether they were finger sticks or log books or CGM graphs as, as time goes on and say, look, I think you should turn this knob here and make this small adjustment. And now the data kind of understands that for you, I guess. It's really Yeah. Cool. I mean, you know, it, it's uh, pretty much, I don't, don't want to say autopilot because we're not quite there yet, but the idea is that, you know, the, the algorithms, you know, the systems get to know you, 
Uh, they get to understand, you know, kind of what, you know, what you do. A lot of people tend to do similar things day after day, whether it's their eating or whatever. So at the end of the day, you know, uh, the devices are going to become smarter and smarter and more predictive. And they'll try to determine not only what the right insulin dosing is, but, you know, based on your prior history, you know, based on what, what they've been able to track, you know, they can almost anticipate here's what's going to happen and, you know, kind of get ahead of the curve. So, yeah. you know, I think it's the power of AI, it's the power of analytics. And then to your point, you know, um, you know, in the early days, I remember at Jocelyn, you know, you'd have doctors having to look at, you know, printouts from all the different flavors of BGMs. There was, you know, a few folks on CGM, you know, you had some ability to download that off of a pump, but it, none of it was connected. None of it was integrated. None of it was uh, aligned. You know, there was no even understanding if the dates on all the devices were the same. <laughs> and, and obviously everything got shifted every twice a year when there was daylight savings time. So again, I think we've come a long ways and, you know, more to go because, you know, the sad part is despite a lot of great technology advances, you know, we still do not have enough people with diabetes, especially people on insulin, you know, meeting their objectives, you know, getting their time and range. I mean, you know, and, and again, I think it's an appreciation that, you know, despite the fact we're making advances, you know, there's more to, you know, managing diabetes than just tracking blood sugars, right. you know, understanding now more about stress, understanding more about sleep habits, understanding more about, you know, the food we eat, nutrition, um, and even the whole behavioral mental health aspects of diabetes. So, so the good news is, you know, I think we're getting smarter. I think we're getting there. Uh, but, you know, like anything else, it just doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Well, let's kind of walk down memory lane for a second. So sure. tell me a little bit how you, how did you come to this? And like you were saying before, like, I guess that concept wasn't as much about the pot at first as it was about, just take me to the beginning. Like, what were you doing yeah. when this happened? Yeah. So um, if, if I kind of walk back 28 years ago, um, our then three-year-old son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Okay. And, and certainly, uh, you know, no real immediate family history. You know, I didn't quite understand how uh, that came about. And uh, we were living in Colorado at the time. I was working for Pfizer uh, on their device business. And, you know, um, I decided that, you know, I, I need to try to understand you know, diabetes, both type one and then eventually type two. So, you know, as my career and in, in life advanced, uh, you know, diabetes was always an important component. Uh, and, you know, when I, uh, you know, when Pfizer ultimately divested themselves from all of the device businesses they were in, I came back to Boston. Um, I was a co-founder of a venture capital firm uh, called Prism Venture Partners. And, you know, that's really what I said in the, in the early days, you know, um, you know, we were looking at, I was looking at, you know, companies that were trying to work on, you know, non-invasive uh, glucometers, you know, people are trying to work on, you know, how to determine glucose, you know, um, in a very effective way. And, you know, and then, you know, as I said, you know, little more than 20 years ago, you know, my partner and I were on a flight coming back from the West Coast and I was describing, you know, the challenges with, you know, trying to figure out insulin, insulin delivery and, you know, the, the problem with the existing, you know, pumps as they were back then, you know, with the tubing and the priming and the, uh, all the issues. And, 
you know, we, we kind of brainstormed that entire five hour flight, you know, and, and thought about, you know, how do we come up with a, you know, small uh, disposable insulin delivery system and, and the disposability <clears throat> happened to come out of a, another deal that we had done leveraging technology out of Sarnoff Corporation, which is where the RCA color TV was invented, if you will. And they had an interesting technology uh, for a disposable hearing aid. And, you know, that's another whole story. I won't get down there, but, you know, we had the idea that disposability could be a, a very disruptive innovation. The idea is that every three days someone puts on a new pod. Um, you know, we knew we could, uh, you know, hopefully do that in a very cost-effective way, uh, eliminate all the problems with the tuming and the priming. And the, so, you know, that that's kind of where the idea came from. And, you know, we got off the plane the next day, we called up our patent attorney and said, hey, we have this idea for a disposable insulin delivery system. And he said, hey, no one's ever thought of that. And, you know, we got a whole bunch of IP. And then we went to our, you know, fellow partners at Prism and said, hey, we want some seed money uh, to kind of flush out this idea, get it off the ground. And, you know, we, we did that. And, you know, we uh, uh, hired uh, some people that had worked for us beforehand. Uh, we, we set up shop up in Beverly, Massachusetts, uh, had a couple of people and, and pretty much told them, you know, in the early days, just think about all the ways you can do this. Think about all the ways to create an IP position, you know, and then little by little, we, you know, had more ideas. We had more IP, we had more prototypes. And, and then, you know, we went ahead and started to, you know, put together a management team, you know, build on the engineering team. And, you know, little by little, we brought other investors in and, you know, here it is what, you know, 20 years later, you know, very successful, you know, multi-billion dollar market cap company that, you know, continues to drive innovation. But that's, that was kind of the germination of it. And then, you know, as I said, um, you know, in, in, in most of my career since then, you know, continues to be very heavily involved in diabetes. I had the opportunity, I guess it was probably about eight, almost nine years ago to run the Jocelyn Diabetes Center mm -hmm. as CEO. So, you know, somewhat unusual to have a fellow that uh, uh, I'm a, a UMass Amherst uh, graduate, undergraduate in accounting, finance and systems. So, you know, you can see I learned enough over the years to be dangerous to be able to run a leading academic, you know, <laughs> medical research education center. Um, but again, you know, it, it was part of, as I said, 28 years ago, I was bound and determined uh, to try to understand, you know, how did my son get diabetes? And, you know, is there an opportunity to think about a cure? And then, you know, as I get further involved, you know, came to appreciate that, you know, certainly type one uh, is a challenge, but, you know, the whole epidemic, you know, I used to call it a pandemic of uh, type two diabetes with, you know, close to 460 million people around the world. So, Anyhow, I could go on and on, but no, it's amazing. That, that's I, how it came about. I'm wondering how how long after you 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 know you take that plane ride, are you holding a prototype? It's a good question. Um, it was probably, yeah, I want to say probably nine months to a year. I mean, because again, we we spent a lot of time. I mean, you know, we probably had some drawings and ideas, but you know, we we wanted to really think about. Um, the intellectual property to make sure we had a good patent position. You know, we, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we, we had a clear understanding that whatever we did, you know, we, we needed to have a, um, 
you know, kind of a, a novel way to engineer it because, you know, most pumps have a motor. And, you know, you're thinking if we have a disposable device that, you know, we said, hey, this thing's going to have to, you know, cost less than, you know, I think it was, I don't know, maybe $15, $20, uh, you know, and, and we said, well, you know, if you put a pump in there, you know, that's not going to do it. And then, you know, we thought about how to, you know, basically deliver very precise amounts of insulin. And in fact, kind of interestingly enough, you know, we, we went back to Sarnoff and said, hey, here's our problem. And they actually come up with the idea of a heated wire, which basically is the mechanism that uh, enables when you heat the wire, it, it, you know, stretches and shrinks. And that ended up being kind of the mechanism to deliver the insulin very precisely and in a very cost-effective manner. So lots of, you know, as I said, I'm sure we had prototypes and ideas along the way, but, uh, you know, it, it was more important to make sure that not only did we have a great design, did we have a design that was really going to, you know, work, especially for kids and others. Uh, you know, we used to call it hassle-free, so we didn't want priming, we didn't want tubing, you know, we wanted to have a very easy way for the cannula to get placed. So, you know, it was iteration and it took, you know, it took a while. And then you got to figure out, you know, how to really make sure it works. How do you figure out what the regulatory requirements are? How do you make sure how we get the insulin in? How do we make sure that, you know, we can communicate? So, you know, lots of lots of steps along the way. So yeah. it, it doesn't happen overnight. No, no, it's a, a really long process. It, were there points along the way where you thought, we'll just get this to a certain point and sell it to somebody else. Did you ever think you were going to be the company that made the pumps and sold them? Well, you know, I, I think we did, you know, you know, we, we thought, Hey, this is a very, you know, novel idea. And, you know, we, we felt good about, you know, as we did some early interaction with, you know, customers and focus groups. Uh, and, and we had, I think from the very beginning, you know, thought about the fact that this was the type of product that, would lend itself to high-speed automation. I mean, we actually thought, you know, at the time we had set shop in, um, trying to think where we were, um, Bedford, I think at the time, and after we left Beverly, uh, where we started, and, you know, we had the idea, hey, we're going to have a lights-out factory. All these pumps are going to put be put together by robots. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, in some ways you go full circle. I mean, a lot of what takes place today, both in this great new factory that insulin built uh, up in Acton, you know, a lot of automation, you know, lots of uh, ways to produce, you know, massive numbers of pumps that are high quality. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, you know, I, I, I think we always thought that, look, you got to build a great company and maybe along the way is someone likely to look at it. I mean, you know, would a Medtronic, would somebody else say, hey, this is interesting. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think we said, let's uh, let's do this. And I remember, you know, some of the greatest moments, you know, when I was at Jocelyn, I remember we had a lot of, Jocelyn had a, the Jocelyn camp for boys uh, out in Oxford, Mass. And it was right next to the uh, camp for uh, for girls. But, you know, seeing all the kids, you know, with their pods on swimming in the pond, I mean, that was pretty neat because before that, as you know, you know, you got to disconnect your pump, you got to take it off, you know, you can't get it in water if you're using a traditional, you know, tube pump and all. So, you know, so I think we were always motivated by the fact that, hey, hey, hey this is a better way to help not just kids, but families and people that want to get insulin and, 
you know, they, they want to do it in a way that, uh, you know, it's discreet, it, it works for them, um, and they don't have to worry about all the hassle that, you know, some of the other tube pumps, uh, you know, have gotten better but still exist. Yeah, well, no, my daughter's been wearing an Omnipod every day for 13 okay. years. So uh, I'm completely aware of the just the benefits of just having your basal insulin while you're in that pond. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, exactly. it's amazing. Because before, you know, kids yeah. would take the pumps off and, you know, it's a hot summer day and maybe they even put them under the towel. But, you know, the, the pumps are getting warm and, you know, maybe they're not wearing them for a certain amount of time. I mean, at the end of the day, that's just not good therapy, right? Right. No, it's 100%. I actually, I, I, I've been through the new manufacturing facility. I've taken the yeah, tour. It's amazing, it's, right? It's yeah. unbelievable. Just astonishing what they accomplished and and watching it happen. And like you said, like, you know, things are kind of moving around automatically and it's 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 yeah, nuts. Yeah. It, and and I don't think the precision is, is considered. Like, I, I want to try to understand without getting too, like, geeky and technical – you're telling me that inside of that pod, there's not a pump sending the insulin through the cannula. It's yeah. So so it's basically a, a mechanism that emulates a pump, but it's not a traditional pump with a motor and right. all. So uh, you know, so it, it's a different uh, approach, and you know, and, and I'd say that's really the other you know key thing about you know being able to produce the number of pods that are needed you know we're you know replacing them every three days and so you know i think the other important thing was to you know put a lot of focus on dimensions tolerances the tooling i mean you know that this is a product that uh you know the the tolerances uh, are critical the making sure you're working with the right vendors the vendors deliver the right product and you know because we did have you know in the early days, you know, there was always a little bit of a concern about, you know, could we, you know, batch to batch consistency, you know, in the early days, we used to joke, we were shipping dollar bills with every pump, you know, because <laughs> we didn't have the volume, we didn't have the scale, we didn't have the full economic benefits. So, right. uh, but, you know, that's part of the learning curve. And then when we, you know, that they went to a generation two, you know, which was smaller, more precise and more, you know, kind of cost effective, you know, th- there were some hiccups in the early days when, you know, you know, things don't quite go the way you expect. And, you know, you just kind of work through them and hopefully, uh, you know, convince your loyal users that, you know, hey, it's sorry, coming. and yeah. we'll send you some replacements, hang in there. Uh, but, you know, the good thing is, I think that's all behind the company now. And I think uh, now they're focused on, you know, kind of what I'd say is they're, you know, Gen 5 product, they've got Dash, they've got Horizon. I mean, they're really, as I said at the beginning, you know, recognizing that uh, it's no longer just about uh, delivering insulin, but it's the context of, you know, doing it in a way that um, understands how that individual is living their life, understanding, you know, kind of what their, um, you know, smart uh, CGM and other devices are saying and, you know, optimizing, you know, what their uh, requirements are. So they're staying in range, they're avoiding hypos and hypers and, and, and their care team can continue to kind of fine tune, you know, what they're doing. Did you, are you still involved or did you eventually sell your share or how did, how does that work? Yeah. So when, when I went to the Jocelyn, you know, uh, I just made a conscious decision. I think it was certainly the right one. Um, you know, maybe not economically, but I, <laughs> I, I divested all my shares. I, you know, I, I just, cause we were doing some things and, 
you know, if you're the CEO of a, a not-for-profit with the prestige of Jocelyn, I just didn't want to have any perceived conflicts and all. So, right. um, so you know, I'm happy to say today I'm still an owner, but, you know, I, I pretty much, um, you know, divested everything for the five years that I was running Jocelyn. I see. Okay. Oh, oh, all right. That's what we wanted the president to do that he didn't do. Is that what we're saying? That that whole, like, you just sort of take yourself, not to be political, but you kind yeah, of take no, yourself exactly. out I of mean, the... Look, it's the right thing to do. I yeah. mean, you know, if we were doing some work, maybe some of the doctors at Jocelyn, which they were, were doing different, you know, studies or, or you know, clinical trials. Yeah, you could argue, well, I don't have anything to do with that, but it's appearances and it's really right. good right. governance. And frankly, you know, I, I think it's just having a good moral, ethical compass. So, yeah. you know, was I going to influence results? No, but you never want to have even the suggestion of impropriety. And I just said, look, this is the right thing to do. Right. That's excellent. Oh, that's very cool. So you're still you're still involved then. And, and you're so you're an owner at this point still. Well, I'm a shareholder, a shareholder with, you know, a, a small um, one with other a, people. Yeah, but, there's, you're saying you know. somebody else is listening to this right now going, I have way more than John does. Yeah, I'm sure they do. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure every major, you know, um, you know, public equity fund out there, you know, uh, mutual funds. But no, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, Be do that. And, you know, full disclosure, I have a, a stock holdings and other, you know, diabetes companies because, uh, you know, um, you know, whether it's on the CGM side, you know, looking at pumps. And then I work with, you know, a lot of young companies that are working on, you know, what I call the next generation solutions, whether it's new, uh, new insulins, whether it's a new type of CGM, there's some companies working on, you know, new uh, uh, pumps, the companies working on defeating the autoimmune system, companies working on, you know, better real-time insulin titration mm. for people with type 2. So about 80% of what I do, you know, these days is still, you know, helping especially young companies. And I'm, I'm either doing it as the chairman of the board, board member, advisor, consultant, you know, trying to make sure that, uh, you know, what I've learned over the years and, you know, uh, how can I help them turn themselves into a successful company that is going to further help people, you know, with type one or type two to, you know, live better, healthier, safer lives. That's cool. How, how old is your son now? My son is going to actually turn um, 31 uh, next month. So just a few weeks away, he works for this company called Lavongo. Oh, uh, I know it. I'm yeah, sure. Heard of them. Uh, he was literally one of the very first uh, people there. In fact, he was with the predecessor company called EOS Health. So he's uh, based out in Chicago, um, has been with them, you know, I guess it's been eight years and, you know, he manages their... Uh, Stills effort in the Midwest. So uh, I guess uh, he's, he's had another, you know, I think uh, opportunity. He has type one, but, you know, he devotes a lot of his time to, you know, help uh, Lavongo get, you know, solutions for self-insured employer employees who need help with diabetes. And now they're moving into hypertension, weight management behavior, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they went public and now they're, you know, being acquired by Teladoc. So okay. he's uh, keeping busy, but he's pretty excited that he made a good career choice when he graduated from college. I have to ask you, because I'm not sure where you're going to go with this, but does he wear an Omnipod? So he doesn't, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> All you know, this it, effort, John, that you put into this. <laughs> I know, I know. But, you know, at the end of the day, and, and I'm sure you might even know with your daughter, you know what? Um, 
you know, it's their live, it's their decision. And, you know, and, and again, he, he's always been a fan. He's talked about it, but, you know, just one of those things where, you know, uh, I don't know why it just didn't fit his schedule or didn't have the time. So at the end of the day, he, he may, but, you know, today uh, he, he's not right. on it, but it, it's not a sign that he doesn't believe in it. It's just, you know. No, no, I don't think day, that. Hey, listen, yeah. Omnipod has been a sponsor of this podcast for since the beginning for many, many years. And yeah. I always tell people the same thing. Get a demo pod. Try it. It's for yeah. you or it's not. It's, you know, there are other insulin pumps. You could you could do MDI. You could, you know, get an in-pen. There's a thousand things you could do. Yeah. The I mean, same- the, the, real, the real key is to, you know, use a – use technology in a way that works for you. You know, and, and obviously, you know, whether it's, a, you know, CGM with a pump and, you know, the, the idea is I think people realize, you know, that, you know, all of a sudden their, their lives are better. They're, you know, they're in range. They don't have the glycemic excursions and, yep. you know, and, and it fits into their lifestyle. So I think that's really the, the key, you know, um, you know, I do some work with the ADA and, you know, we had a discussion recently with uh, Insula just, you know, kind of getting to know each other. Uh, Bob Gabay is the new um, chief medical officer, chief scientific officer for the ADA. And he was in the call. I had hired him at Jocelyn. So he, he's a great person. And But the whole idea is essentially just, you know, I, I think an appreciation that, you know, people that have been on MDI, you know, maybe just thought, look, pumps are too complicated. They look like they're, you know, not going to work for me. And, you know, obviously, you know, I think once to your point, they try them also, they realize they're pretty straightforward and, you know, and, and I think, you know, companies are sensitive to making sure that, you know, they're affordable and, you know, that they work for people. And, and again, I think the payers, you know, the insurers, I think, you know, understand that they're cost effective. I mean, it wasn't too many years ago where, you know, you had to jump through hoops to justify having someone get a CGM or even a pump, you know, uh, but, yeah. you know, the good news is the data is there and the values there and, you know, the, the world's, you know, continuing to evolve. What was the most difficult, if there's one difficult part of getting the Omnipod to market, was it the the function of it and the mechanics of it, or was it the FDA or is it insurance? Like, I guess yeah, they're no, all. It's, a, it's a good question. You know, part of it, you know, I, I would say is just, uh, you know, a, a disposable pump, you know, it took a little while for people to get their heads around that. I remember we had some people saying that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. Um, <laughs> I, I think the regulatory path, you know, we went through it, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I spent years, you know, kind of, uh, you know, working at Pfizer, you know, really a, a lot of device companies, you know, I do a lot of biotech and other things, but, you know, still know the device base, my, you know, my partner Dwayne knew that. So, you know, I think the key is we weren't all that concerned about the regulatory. A big part of it was reimbursement. I mean, um, you know, you have to go kind of, payer by payer across the country, you know, we kind of started in New England and, you know, kept going West um, to get payers to agree, you know, cause it's a different approach. I mean, everybody else, you, you have this upfront investment for the pump, right. And then you have all the uh, disposables. And in our case, you know, we were kind of turning that upside down, you know, it's really a subscription model effectively mm-hmm. and, and trying to get, you know, payers to understand that, how did it fit into their reimbursement, 
you know, e- even the federal government, you know, would say, you know, if you're on Medicare, you can only get, you know, one pump every four years. Well, if you're getting a new pump every three days and, you know, just things like that. I mean, sometimes the way the reimbursement was set up, it just, it didn't understand that, hey, this was a very different form factor, economic value proposition. And, you know, you had to get people comfortable with it. And then they had to understand, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you looked at it over four years, you know, versus the cost of a traditional pump, you know, they're pretty comparable. But, you know, when you're first starting off, you know, people there, well, how does this work? And that's not the way we do it. And, you know, so there was just a lot of, you know, pioneering. And, you know, I think the other part of it was just, you know, um, understanding the manufacturing, you know, despite the idea that we thought it would make sense to have this great lights out factory. Um, you know, we realized that, you know, we needed uh, a different solution. And in fact, you know, ended up getting involved with Flextronics, you know, and, you know, leveraged their expertise at high speed automation and, you know, ended up setting up some uh, the supply chain, you know, generally in China because, you know, we wanted to, you know, make sure our economics worked. And right. now it's ironic. It's kind of coming full circle it's all you know, back to the U.S. But um, so, you know, getting that manufacturing and getting the cost of goods sold was something that we always, you know, spent a lot of time on because you don't, you know, you don't have a good business if you're, you know, losing money on every shipment, but you got to have the volumes. You have to have the, you know, sufficient economics to support, you know, getting the cost per unit down. And so that took some time. Um, I was going to say, even understanding, hearing you talk about having to go state by state and explain to payers, like, this is how it's going to work. And, you know, I know this isn't what you usually do, but this is this. I've had those conversations for my daughter. And back in the day, you'd have to get on the phone every time you reorder and say, no, 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 listen, listen. I know we just got a pump. That's not, and then you'd have to re-explain it to somebody. It was fascinating how many times I've done that. Yeah, no, and, you know, if you think on the CGM side, I mean, you know, I remember in the early days, you know, payers were reluctant to allow someone to have a CGM or reimburse them for it, you know, because if their numbers were in pretty good shape, you know, they said, well, you don't need a, a CGM or maybe you don't need a pump. And then the whole idea was, well, you almost had to have people deliberately, you know, mess up their diabetes management for 30 days to show that, well, you're not in good control, therefore you should get it. I mean, if you think of the absurdity of that, yeah. but, you know, that was part of it. And, you know, we used to have a lot of our great doctors at Jocelyn, I mean, spending more time on the phone with insurers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and even silly things like, you know, why does someone with type one, why do you need to check your blood sugars with a BGM, you know, eight times a day? What do you, what, just do it two days. What are you doing? Right. I mean, just absurdity. Yeah, no, the lack of understanding it, it permeates pretty much well, every aspect. Well, especially you know, of it. you know, type one versus type two. I mean, you know, a lot of people just still don't fully understand, you know, that uh, yeah, it's diabetes, but you know, it's a very different mechanism. It's not like if you have type one, avoid sugar, you're going to be great. It, it's. I just was speaking with a person last night whose child is more newly diagnosed. And this podcast, John, which you probably don't know anything about, I, I take great pride in it. it. It explains to people, among other things, how to use insulin. And like, my daughter's A1C with the Dexcom and Omnipod is between 5'2 and 6'2 for over six years now. She has no diet oh, yeah, yeah. restrictions. She's yep. doing terrific. I talk about what we do here. It seems to 
uh, get to people in a way that they can understand it and replicate it for themselves. So I'm talking to this person and she's like, I don't understand. Why does my endocrinologist not understand? Like, why am I talking to you and not her? And I, I said, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to tell you about that, but it, it, you know, just it's what you, it's what it made me think when you were talking through it, that most people would hear this and think, well, how could an insurance company not understand what diabetes is or how could, you know, and the answer is because people don't, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, they, you know, and, and again, nothing against the people there, but, you know, anytime you bring something new or a different business model, different approach, you know, it, it doesn't kind of fit the traditional, uh, you know, scheme and you got to educate them and you got to do the analysis and, you know, uh, you know, they, they just tend to be a little bit change resistant, right? Yeah. You fall into something that you're comfortable with and it works, whether you're a company or a person. And you stop you stop having reasons to wonder about other ways to do things. So yeah, exactly. You come along with this little pod, and you're like, "Hey, listen, this is the way to go." And yeah, it's, it's like doing it. it. Well, what do you mean? After three days, you throw it away? Like, well, why are you throwing it away? Right. Yeah. It's designed that way. Yeah, that's, that's what it's for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. It really. I, so if you if you can't say or you shouldn't, I'm not sure, but I've forever want to understand. While um, you know, you get your pod out, you fill it up. It primes, take off the needle cap, you put it on, and you say, go ahead, insert it. And then there's this clicking that is sometimes four times it clicks, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's six. And then, you know, blink of an eye, the, the cannula is in. In my estimation, it's always been that something f- fires uh, a needle that's wrapped in a cannula in, the needle comes out, leaves the cannula behind. But is it not functionally firing? Is it tension how does it do are you can you tell me how it does that yeah I, you know uh, i don't know what it does today it, it's probably different than it was but but i think your point's accurate I mean, the whole idea was to get rid of needle phobia to be able to have a very simple way to your point to deploy the cannula you know mm. with a needle that would place it properly and then you know disengage itself so all you had was the cannula to deliver the insulin so yeah i mean i yeah, I don't want to speculate because I'm not sure how it works today. No, but, please. You know, the idea was to basically, you know, deliver it in a way that, you know, it would get into the skin at the right level, you know, and, you know, not cause any bruising, hypertrophy. I mean, there was a lot of work that went into the, you know, the, the needle design and the and the shape and the insertion pressure force, whatever you want to call it. So, but yeah, I'm probably, you know, no, it's been yeah. a while since I've looked inside of one. It, it prompts me. I probably have an old one around here I should look into. I'm now wondering about the the day in the office where somebody was like, all right, put it on me and push the button and let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's, how, many, how many people do you think in total were there in the beginning? Well, in, in the very beginning, you know, there were two of us on an airplane, right? right. Um, but then, you know, we, we ended up, as I said, we, we had a, a team. We, we were up in the Cummings facility in Beverly, Mass., you know, after we had put our partners had put some seed money in, you know, we, we hired a guy that, uh, you know, really brilliant in terms of, you know, just looking at the entire intellectual property landscape, you know, were there any other patents? Was anyone else doing anything, um, you know, and, and how would we, you know, think about creating the product? Uh, how would we think about, you know, what type of plastic, what type of, you know, materials, you know, we, we thought a lot about, as I said, quote unquote, the pumping mechanism. We thought a lot about the 
cannula and, and the insertion mechanism and, you know, what the battery life is and how to make sure that, you know, there's accuracy. So in the early days, you know, it was a bunch of really bright people, probably more engineering, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, folks had new devices, folks had new IP, folks that understood we had to be able to make this thing very cost effectively. Uh, and, you know, you, you're kind of designing it and building it on the fly. And um, and then, you know, we reached the point where, you know, I, I think we felt we had uh, a good plan. We had a good business plan. We hired uh, a fellow um, as our CFO who eventually became the CEO, Dwayne DeSisto. Um, and then, you know, we, we, as the company advanced, you know, we brought more money in, we brought in other venture partners, our, our team continued to support it. Um, and then, you know, we ended up getting, um, you know, new space. We left Beverly and, you know, we, we started to hire a more, you know, larger team, you know, in terms of, you know, recognizing that, you know, what do you need to have in, in, in addition to engineering, you know, you got to have people that are, you know, working on the supply chain, you got to have people that are working on, you know, understanding the whole regulatory process, quality process, you know, starting to think about reimbursements, starting to think about, um, you know, packaging. So, you know, you start building a team and, you know, that took place over, you know, a, a number of years, um, where you go from kind of a, an idea that we had to, you know, starting to think about, you know, what it should look like. And again, just simple things like, you know, what type of plastic and what type of plastic are you going to mold and what's the shape and how much stuff can you fit into it and still have it work, but not be too big. And, you know, just lots of, you know, iterations that, you know, you get a team and then you start getting people thinking about how do you market it? What are we going to call it? All that stuff. Right. You know, in, in the early days, we used to call it the OP. It, it, it must be crazy to be a startup in a space that is like, you know, pharma and device manufacturing, like, like bigger companies, like in you're sort of just these, you know, your two guys coming off a plane and putting together things. By the way, the company still has a really good vibe, um, you know, throughout it. It, it. You can tell what the root, as you're explaining what the roots of it are, it doesn't surprise me. Um, because I think it's grown in that direction. Yeah, no, it's pretty neat. I mean, every now and then, in fact, at the last ADA meeting, uh, not the virtual one, but, uh, you know, my son was with me and, you know, we were kind of walking the floor and, you know, went by the booth and, you know, it's kind of one of those funny things where, you know, a couple of the people start putting the, the dots together. Wait a minute, you're the father, you're the son. I mean, yeah. you know, all of a sudden they realized that, you know, we were kind of the, you know, the, the, you know, my son was the inspiration and, you know, I was one of the co-founders. It's, so, it's, uh, it's, every- yeah, it's kind of neat. And, and again, you know, still having that, you know, you could call, you know, kind of that entrepreneurial spirit and, right. you know, really thinking, you know, what I, what I always like to think of disruptive innovation. And, and again, you know, I, I spent, especially back in those days, you know, most of my career was in the device world. I, you know, had ran a, a couple of businesses for Pfizer you know, one of them was actually a company that had infusion pumps and, you know, uh, so, you know, we certainly knew a lot about, you know, delivering, uh, you know, whether it's insulin or other drugs, knew a lot about, you know, device manufacturing, regulatory, you know, so anyhow, you leverage all that. And, you know, at the end of the day, you hire bright, smart, capable people who, frankly, thrive in a small company environment. I mean, you know, in a small company, I mean, you know, forget about your title. Everybody's working hard. Everybody's working late. Everyone has a passion for, 
you know, doing Building what we're thing. doing because we're going to improve the lives of people with diabetes. Really so, have, honestly. Yeah. Hey, listen, is this too ham-fisted or maybe this happens all the time, but do people call you the podfather? I mean, it's... They haven't. It's, I've <laughs> never heard anyone call me that. Before. Well, then I'm doing it right now because that seems like an obvious pun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly. And 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 what a, what a, um, what a, what an absolute parenting story it is too like you're like let me do this thing for you and you do it and you build this entire thing for it and at the end he's like that's nice but i'm not gonna use it <laughs> yeah. no, and, and, and again you know he, he very very well you know decided at some point he wants to, to do it yeah it. and again you know he's uh he's doing great things uh in the world of uh you know helping uh employers and payers and all uh help their patients with diabetes and now hypertension weight management as i said and really nice. soon you know to be you know part of teledoc which takes it even to a bigger stage i am having um I, I honestly the experience that we've had with my daughter doing telemedicine over the last number of months i think has been a, an incredible improvement over what we had been doing prior to that honestly yeah. just you know. i agree i mean if you yeah. think of it i mean you know and and i did some piloting at Jocelyn. I mean, this is many years ago and, you know, it, it, it was hard to get, you know, great clinicians, but, you know, they were just used to, you know, meeting people in their, in their office. If you think of diabetes, I mean, it's the best, you know, way to treat people because what do you do physically? You don't really need to do anything. Yeah. There's no procedures. You're, you know, helping people and the diabetes nurse educators and the dietitians, And so, but, you know, before we had to do it with COVID, uh, you know, it's just people are convinced, well, you, that's, you have to do it that way. Right. You know, uh, and, and in some ways, you know, it was just the, you know, people were resigned to the fact that I'm going to spend an hour to drive into Boston. I'm going to spend 40, 50 bucks to park. I'm going to sit in the waiting room and wait because this is a, you know, global leader and all the clinicians are bright and busy and, you know, that's the price you got to pay. And, you know, now if you said, hey, let's go back to that, you know, people there, nope, not going to do it. I don't think that anything's been more gratifying in the last three months than sending an email to somebody and saying, like my daughter has hypothyroidisms too, and saying, hey, I think Arden's a little hyper right now. And she fa and she emails back a script. We get a blood draw on the next day. They move the tyrosine down a level. And it's, it's done in 24 hours almost. Oh, yeah. And before, like you said, get an appointment, come in, take a day off from school, like all this other stuff to maybe get an answer in a month if you're lucky. Yeah, uh, yeah. Really no, it, it's, it's a, it's a, a change. And, and again, I think as, as we're saying, I mean, I think uh, diabetes lends itself to, you know, having smart devices, analytics, uh, AI, and, and the ability to basically let the care team, you know, monitor from afar how people are doing and, and make sure they get the right coaching, the right encouragement, you know, but, but the idea is essentially make the lives of people with diabetes easier and take the burden off of them and, you know, give them an opportunity to basically live a, you know, healthy life and, yeah. you know, avoid, you know, the, you know, what, what used to happen, you know, was people developing complications and, you know, not that they don't exist, but, you know, I think we're doing a much better job of, you know, making sure we get ahead of the curve and not waiting for someone to have, you know, uh, eye problems or kidney problems or vascular problems. I mean, the whole idea is, uh, you know, a keep people in range and, and keep the excursions and, 
you know, don't let things get to the point where, you know, the, the problems start arising. Yeah. You have to be proactive for, for yep. certain. I, I have two last questions for you. I thought I was only going to have one, but now I have two because of your time at Jocelyn. How do you, or do, is it obvious to, to somebody like you that there's an issue with clinicians not understanding diabetes as well as the people who have diabetes and how do you speed up their understanding so they can help newer people? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And look, you know, whether it's Jocelyn or other places, sure. I mean, just very talented individuals, but, you know, um, you know, especially a place like Jocelyn, you know, part of the Harvard uh, complex, I mean, you know, a- academic medicine, you know, people are brilliant, but, you know, there tends to be a lot of clinical inertia. You know, they want to see data. They want to see papers. They want to see peer-reviewed journal articles before they fully get on board. And the other part of it is, you know, I think, uh, you know, they're busy people. um, And, and, you know, as much as they're going to keep up with all the new developments, all the new information, you know, it just, it takes a little while. And, you know, but, but I think today, you know, with a lot of, you know, capabilities built into the electronic health records, you know, there's ways for, you know, clinicians to be able to, you know, get a better handle on how this individual is doing, what are the other potential comorbidities or factors that are going on, and then, you know, which is the right approach, and, you know, if you have type 1, you know, what type of devices, and, you know, do I still think about putting you on some sort of, you know, SGLT2 inhibitor, I mean, so, but, but, but the issue is, I think it was just, you know, busy people and, you know, just trying to deal with all the stuff they had to deal with. And then after they get done seeing patients, make sure they put all of their information into the, you know, billing systems so the bills could go out on time. And so, you know, I think it was just easy for people to kind of get into a, you know, I don't have time to think, I just got to react. And right. um, so, you know, now I think it, it's easier with, you know, as we said, with kind of the whole virtual care, you know, I, I think it's just easier to be able to focus on, for an individual, you know, uh, what what is it that we should talk about during this time we have? And, you know, the, the doctors don't have to spend time kind of reviewing or trying to make sense on the fly out of uh, CGM plots. And, you know, now that the, the information is there, it's more a question of helping, you know, determine for that person with diabetes, you know, what's the best way to, you know, help you e- even further improve and, you know, to be there, you know, if people are still struggling, you know, because as you know, there's still challenges. I'm, I'm on the board of the College Diabetes Network, chairman there. And, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, if you think of it, college students, you know, dealing with uh, diabetes in this environment, you know, virtual hybrid classes and, you know, the whole, you know, side of diabetes around depression and, you know, behavioral health and all. So, you know, so in some ways, you know, life is getting easier, but life is getting more complicated, right? Right. Now, it's interesting. I just have, I have such a personal experience over time where I, it, it, it it's going to sound crazy, but I could sit down with you in an hour and explain diabetes to you in a way where you would just understand it and you'd, you'd be able to put it into practice. I've practiced for a decade or more writing about it and talking about it. And, and just when you see someone struggling who has great care, what really is considered great care and then they come along. I mean, think about it, really, John. Then they come along and listen to a podcast, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, I understand now." And then they're off and they're okay. It feels yeah. like there's a disconnect somewhere in between. That you know what I mean? It, well, sometimes you know, maybe maybe the key is you know, 
you know, you, you got to make sure you're connecting with people at their level. Maybe some people, I mean, you know, especially in type two, I mean, a lot of people are told by their, maybe it's their primary care doctor. And again, I'm not trying to malign anyone, but you have diabetes and here's what you need to do. And I'm going to put you in metformin. Well, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I used to hear from many people, well, I don't really know what it means when I have diabetes. I mean, they don't understand things yeah. and, and maybe they say, well, I'll avoid sugar, but, you know, I can have pasta, rice. That's healthy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, no understanding, you know, kind of how our bodies work. I mean, right. when I was a kid, you know, many, many years ago, you know, we, we actually had something in, in school called a nutrition class and health classes. You actually had some idea how our bodies work. I, I don't think we're teaching that to kids anymore. Yeah. So the idea is a lot of people just, even though if you're in it, it it's kind of like, well, why don't you understand it? Some people just don't fully understand, like, well, you know, what do you mean my pancreas isn't going to produce insulin or, you know, it's not producing enough insulin or, you know, I'm watching my blood sugars, but, you know, I'm, I'm in competitive sports or I'm stressed out or, you know, and people start realizing there's all these other factors that affect your, your glucose. I mean, you yeah. can eat the same meal every day, do the same thing, but if you're stressed out one day or you didn't sleep well or something, you know, you're going to have different results and a lot of people don't fully appreciate well why is that yeah i think that when when i start talking to people privately which i do sometimes um just as i don't know i i i think it makes me better being on the podcast to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people uh, that aren't recorded sometimes uh, but when I start off by telling them, look, you have to get your basal insulin right because nothing's going to work if that's not right. And then you really need right. to pre-bolus to understand how your insulin works. But when I get to the third thing and say you need to understand the glycemic load and the glycemic index of foods, I don't think that's what they think they're going to hear next. And right. when you tell somebody that you know 10 carbs of one food and 10 carbs or another food are going to impact you differently, you, I, I completely agree with you. It fries their mind. They're like, no, yeah, they told it, me to it, count the carbs. Does, and, you know, and, yeah. and, and again, we, we're learning a lot about you know, again, you know, what else is affecting, you know, gastric emptying, you know, which foods tend to get into the bloodstream faster. I mean, again, there's a lot of complexity that, you know, not that we want to make it even more confusing for people, but the hope is that, you know, over time, you know, devices are going to start incorporating. You know, if you think of all the wearables, people are starting to pick up on heart rate variability. They're starting to pick up on sleep. And at some point in time, maybe those additional inputs, you know, might further cause the algorithms to be even smarter. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, we're having a better way to help people with diabetes, you know, understand that, yeah, blood sugar is fine, but that's not the only ingredient that's kind of driving, you know, what's going on. Yeah. Maybe one day your the uh, pump will know that, Hey, I had pizza. So the cheese is slowing down the digestion, but now the cheese is gone and everything's going through me quicker and not impacting me the same way. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, a lot of pumps are going to say, you know, Hey, I remember the last time you had insulin and, and here's, here's what happened. And, you know, instead of you having to figure out a square wave bolus, uh, whatever, yeah. you know, you uh, the system's going to basically say, yeah, I remember that, you know, let me make sure that, uh, I'm adjusting your, insulin. Or if you're a, an athlete, I remember, you know, when my son played high school sports or, you know, we used to have a lot of kids at Jocelyn, you know, playing competitive sports. And, you know, the, the issue is, you know, your blood sugars, you know, you may be fine during the game and then eight hours after game time, you're crashing. And, you know, I don't understand why part yeah. of that's, you know, how do your muscles reload? So anyhow, it, it's, uh, it's complicated, but we're chipping away at, you know, getting it there and maybe, in the background, we've got people working on, uh, 
you know, either, uh, you know, uh, beta cell regeneration, protecting the immune system. I mean, you know, there's lots of other good things going on that I'm on top of as well. So maybe someday we'll make all this moot. That's my last question is what do you see coming that is exciting to you? Because I just had, uh, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Millman on the other day from WashU, and he was talking about stem cells and how they're getting cells now to sense glucose, make insulin, not right. be seen as your uh, by your body as a foreign. You know, that's a it's all amazing. Like, is, yeah, no, it it is, but yeah. you know, and it's happening. You know, in in different parts of the world, uh, you know, there, there's people working on, you know, defeating the autoimmune process. People working on you know, basically protecting the beta cells. Uh, there are people working on regenerating the beta cells. There are people working on encapsulization. There are people working on, you know, new treatments. Uh, I mean, you look at some of the stuff, you know, the, Denise Faustman, you know, at MGH with yep. uh, BCG and, you know, so lots of advancements. People are making headway. You know, you look at, uh, you know, Sema, which was a Doug Melton company, now part of Vertex, and all of a sudden you got a very big pharmaceutical company working on, you know, kind of, uh, you know, beta cell encapsulization. You know, you get other co- companies that are in that space, and little by little, you know, we're we're kind of cracking, uh, you know, why do regulatory T cells go awry, and you know, how do you do that? So yeah, I mean, we could talk for another couple of hours on well, that, all the things that yeah. I see, and you know, I'm usually involved because you know I just get motivated by that. And, and again, companies sometimes seek me out because uh, they know I know enough to be dangerous and maybe I can help them either get financed or advanced, right? Understand how to get through the whole process. That's yeah. got to be such a huge part of it is just having somebody with you that can help guide you around the pitfalls, right? That's got to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been, you know, doing this for a while and, uh, you know, I've seen the good, bad, the ugly, but, you know, the hope is that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of these companies, the challenges you know, getting the financing and having a value proposition that's compelling to investors and, you know, making sure that they've thought through the timelines around, you know, regulatory issues, quality issues, reimbursement issues. And and in today's day and age, it's the old Wayne Gretzky line. You know, you don't want to develop something, you know, to solve today's problem. It's where's that puck going to be five years from now? Got to skate where the puck's going, right? Yeah. Where's that competitive (laughs) landscape going to be? Who else is out there and how to make sure that you're, you know, kind of leapfrogging the competition, not just incrementally saying, hey, I got a better mousetrap and, you know, you're already kind of behind the times. So I tell people when they're using their insulin that everything you do now is for later. And everything that is happening now is from something that you did in the past. And I think that uh, thinking like that in general is a great idea. Well, um, John, thank you. I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I do want to leave you with something um, because I I don't know that I fully wrap my head around this sentiment that gets given to me a lot until you were talking about your son. But people thank me. My daughter does not come on this podcast, right? She's 16. She doesn't care about a podcast. And... um, and people tell me all the time how grateful they are that her situation led to their success. And now I'm realizing as I'm sitting here is that that this podcast really is born out of my concern for my daughter. And she's wearing an insulin pump that was born out of your concern for your son. So it's very uh, kind of chilling, honestly. Well, I, I would. I, I'm sure he'd be interested. So at some point in time, you want to do a podcast with my son. I think you're going to find uh you know, he, he's even sharper than I am. So, uh, I'm going to do that. Yeah, no, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, if you think of it, I mean, you know, he, he's 
you know, understands this disease because uh, he lives with it every day and, you know, working for a company that, you know, now is extremely successful and, you know, had some interesting experiences along the way. So, uh, you know, so yeah, you, no. you might want to get him on a podcast. I, I think you'd find it pretty entertaining. Well, it'll be easier for me to find him than it was for me to find you because, you know, you just would go around saying to people like, you know, the guy that made the pod, what's his name? And so, and finally somebody, one of my friends at Omnipod's like, it's John. And I was like, oh, oh, is that him? And she goes, yeah. I said, I think I know someone at T1D Exchange. I'll be fine. I was like, I'll figure it out, um, which is another great organization that you, you sit on the board of. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. T1D Exchange, uh, College Diabetes Network. Uh, you know, so, you know, if it's diabetes related, uh, you know, I, I'd like to think I can be helpful in some way. Well, I'll know I'm doing well when you want to invest in me. <laughs> <laughs> John, thanks so very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure. All right. Take care. Have a good day. Take care. Yep. Bye. Bye. Hey, huge thanks to the Podfather, John Brooks. Can you imagine it if people, by the way, if you know John, start calling him the Podfather. I'd like to see that pick up if, if you guys can make that happen. Thank you. Anyway, John, thanks so much for coming on the show and for sharing your amazing and very unique experience dreaming up an insulin pump. Thanks also to the T1D Exchange, t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Join that registry today. Support diabetes research, support the podcast. And Touched by Type 1, touchedbytype1.org. Thank you to those sponsors. And of course, welcome Gvoke Glucagon to the family of sponsors here at the Juicebox podcast. Learn more about that pre-mixed, pre-filled glucagon or the hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. There are links in your show notes and at juiceboxpodcast.com to all of the wonderful and may I say delightful sponsors of the juice box podcast. Check them out if you would. Uh, thank you. Hey, last thing, the Facebook page for the podcast is blowing up. I, I mean, that is what the kids would say, right? It's, it's blowing up. Be like, you know, what do they say about their phones and stuff? I'm I'm very old. I don't know what people say, but that's not the point. The point is, on Facebook, there's a public group. It's called Bold with Insulin. And there's a private group, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. That private group, up to 6,000 users just about. Huh? Is that bananas? 6,000 people in there just helping each other out. It's amazing. It's the kindest place you'll ever find on Facebook. Hand to wherever you want to hold your hand up to when you're swearing on things, I mean it. I've never seen a nicer, kinder, more thoughtful, less egotistical, more lovely and delightful group of people helping each other with type 1 diabetes than I have right there in that group. I am as proud of how that group functions as I am about anything else connected to this podcast. It's really, um, it's quite something. And the public group has like 10,000 people following it. I'm really stunned. I am. I'm not really a Facebook person, but it's turned out to be quite a little resource, and I'm, I'm super happy about it. All right. I hope you have a great day. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with John, learning more about how the Omnipod came to be. I really did. And uh, what else? Hmm. Feels like I have nothing left to say. So that is that.